It's the dead of winter here in the Lower Mainland, and by dead of winter I mean it's raining. There was a whole bunch of snow, it was a white Christmas, but now it's the dead of winter. We're back in the shed, episode 132 is coming right at you. We got all kinds of stuff on our minds today. The virtual shed. The virtual shed, yes, that's right, because of course we're safe and healthy guys, sort of, most of the time, in some respects. I'm very excited. Yeah, that's well, then maybe you can follow that right up with rats. Rats, yeah. You want to talk about how we're never more than 30 feet from a rat? Is that what you're talking about? I'm thinking of Charlie Brown. Rats. No, yeah, actually. What's happened? No, seriously. No, so uh, yeah, when it was 17 below here in Burnaby, in our utility room, which is just off the garage, we heard some scurrying overhead. You know, Sue's going, what's that? You know, we thought somebody was in the garage. You know, I was looking around for a baseball bat and... <laughs> Um, so anyway, two nights in a row, that was like that. And I'm just, yeah, it'll go away. And then we were talking to Hannah on our weekly call and Hannah used to raise mice to feed to the owls and she's going, Oh, do something about that right away. Just get it done. You know, those things reproduce every three weeks. And what started as a couple of mice becomes a hundred mice in no time at all. And so I got the ladder out and went into the garage and opened up the crawl space. And there it was, all the evidence was there, you know, droppings. So we called a a guy and she goes, make sure and make sure it's humane and don't use poison. So we got a guy in and he says, yeah, nobody, you're not even allowed to use poison anymore. Oh, I think you are. (laughs) 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 You should... Can we have another reading there with some rubbing of hands evilly? Oh, I think you are. <laughs> wow. You know, those, yes. little, those little rat packages, you know, that you see along the sides of buildings, that's what's in them is poison. Oh, that's true. That's true. Maybe you're, al- okay, so you must. You can't, you can't sprinkle it around the attic or anything like that. It's got to be sort of contained, but other than that. No, there's a lot of, right. a lot of complaining that the, uh, that poison is killing uh, hawks and owls and stuff that eat the mm. rats and mm. and cats even, right? If it's one of those little boxes you're talking about, I think the whole idea with those is that the rat goes inside and he can't get out any anymore anyway, no? Nope. Oh. He goes in he there goes in, to munch. has munch. a little feast yep. and goes off someplace Ooh, to expire. Yeah, yeah, that's not good at all. Yeah, so he set four traps, just the classic uh, mouse trap, the one that people can't seem to build a better one of. So I asked him, well, so do you use poison? He goes, no, I use peanut butter. And I said, well, so when it traps them, then do they just die a slow and agonizing death? He said, no, they're killed immediately. I said, okay. And he said, what we do is we set four traps. One of them we actually don't set. The one that's closest to the nest, we just put some peanut butter on it. And he says, they actually... He says, actually, the parents will send the children in to check it out. <laughs> Excellent. That's so great. <laughs> and then so, so they'll send the children in and the, the child will, you know, the baby mouse will eat it and they go, good. It's all good. And they head off to the other, the other traps. And... Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So anyway, he comes tomorrow to check the traps. I'm just not in the mood to go up there myself. And so, uh, so we'll see how this all goes. Well, RJ, we had a crazy infestation in our house, both rats and mice. And the key is, is uh, 
if they can't get in, then the, you don't get them. So you got to make sure that all those holes outside are covered up somehow. Right. So when he came, he rang the doorbell and I opened the door and he didn't even say hello. He pointed down at the foot of the stairs, uh, or the concrete stairs. And there it was a big mound of dirt and a hole. Oh. And he did go all the way around the house anyway and check. And, and that was the only spot. So now he's going to do a quote for us for, you know, I know I could do it myself, but it's just nice to have someone take care of it. He's going to do a quote of digging down. I think he told me it was a foot or six inches. I can't remember how far down, but it's down far enough that no rat would ever get down there. And he's going to dig down, fill it up with river rock, as well as of course, plugging the hole itself with the steel mesh. Right. Um, so because he says that you could plug up the hole and all they do is go four inches over. And he said they can, they can actually dig through concrete um, and, and certainly under some kind of concrete, maybe concrete that's water damaged or something, but they certainly can dig under that footing. Oh, under, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's just going to, he's going to fill it with river rock and I'm all good with that. So you went through this. Did you have them all over the place, like in ceilings and walls or? I was was all in the basement. No, no, I won't say that. Yeah, no, they were in walls. They were everywhere. Yeah. But it was like the crawl space had major, you know, welcoming doors for them. Please come in. It's nice and warm in here. You probably find some water and. Yeah, oh, it was a disaster, but uh, we fixed that problem. And well, that's but we good. we did get a guy in and the guy was useless. He uh he said, "Well, you got to close up everything." Oh, yeah, okay. And then he set traps and I think it he probably worked 3 hours and the bill was $400, at least $400 and I thought, "What?" He does the hantavirus cleanup afterwards. Like I don't want to get up there. It's terrible going up in those attics. Um, so they, they get their vacuums and their masks and oh, to remove all the poop. Yeah. Apparently, uh, and Hannah agrees. She goes, you got to do that because that hantavirus, you'll think you have the flu or COVID and then a week or two later you're dead. So it's apparently it's pretty brutal. So yeah, I figure let the, let the pros go in and do it. Good thinking. All right. That was a fun topic. Yeah. Rats. And I've got, I've changed, I've changed it on our list to rats follow up. (laughs) Let's do rats. (laughs) Let's do rats every, every episode. You guys want to do some listener mail? Oh, we got listener mail. Mm -hmm. So excited. It's always stoked for listener mail. I don't care what it is. Unless, unless I just want to have this caveat out there before we start with this iteration of listener mail. I don't want to hear any listener mail that starts with, I agree with Rich. Okay, so none of that. I don't want any of that. Oh, I guess. Uh, I guess. Other than that, let's go. Okay. Well, we don't have any listener mail then. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> guess I walked into that. I can see that baby coming. Nancy from New Westminster. Nancy. She's about uh, episode one twenty six. Gin dogs. Hey dogs. Hola from Mexico. I'm down here for two months and loving it. Oh, so she's probably still down there. Could be, yeah. So she sent this in mid-November. So glad I missed all the trouble you've had up there. Really like KJ's potpourri of words and expressions. I didn't spend too much time on following up, but thought you would be interested that croquet originated in Ireland. 
where they played crookie, meaning a hooked stick. Considering we don't use crooked, crooked sticks for croquet makes this more fascinating. Odios. Wow. Yeah. So odios is such a good word for describing something that is useless. Love it. We brought a fanny pack to Mexico with us. And listeners, these are just all words that we covered, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, including fanny pack. We brought a fanny pack to Mexico with us. It's perfect when you're riding a bike into town and don't want to carry a backpack. Big enough to hold keys, money, ID, but light enough when riding around in the heat. And we still call it a fanny pack. Shopping for women's pants and jeans is a pain in the butt. They rarely have pockets or they are very small. What the hell? I hate carrying a purse and usually just carry a wallet, my phone, and keys. I need pockets. In the absence of pockets, we will carry a small travel shoulder bag. I'd rather have pockets. I shop at Costco. On to a new topic. I shop at Costco about three times a year. I've discovered the best time to go is around 10.30 a.m. on a Tuesday or Wednesday. The people that lined up to get in are now at the cashier and I can whip around the store with my list, get what I want and get out. Works nine out of 10 times. It's just so oddly specific. You know, like I'm sure I've been in at that time before and not noticed how dreamy it all was, but she's just so specific about it. Makes me believe I must just not ever have done it. It's like you, RJ, the way you say stuff sometimes, you just declare them as they're yeah, no, this is just undeniable fact. I, yeah, it's just true. Oh, okay, I guess. Well, we'll have to give it a try. Uh, yeah. All in all, she concludes, a great show. So glad the internet worked long enough down here that I got to hear you. Adios, mi amigos. <laughs> great hearing from you once again, Nancy. Okay, Lee of Courtney on the same episode, 126 Gin Dogs. She says, great show, dogs. A couple of, well, okay, more than a couple comments. <laughs> Regarding the snapper word inchoate, I'm just guessing that PJ was thinking of incoherent when he was trying to work out the meaning and landing on gibberish and babbling. And now yeah. I know a new word, one that I've, I'd have i seen but never really understood. The Shed Dogs podcast is improving our brains. Oh. Yeah, see, yeah, nice. so we don't need to worry about the loss of our mental mapping skills, KJ. We're, uh, we're remapping people's brains one listener at a time. Tell your friends. Right. And now she's got a number of bullet points for us, two actually bullet points. Number one, fanny packs. I used to have several in the 1980s, but have none now. They do serve a useful purpose, but as a fashion accessory, egad. No amount of tarting them up or turning them to the front can make them not nerdy. And to that end, I differ with PJ, who said one wouldn't wear a fanny pack to Walmart. I think that, in fact, if one is going to wear one out in public, hiking excluded, the only place that they should be seen is in a Walmart. (laughs) PJ, your thoughts? I just don't know why we automatically agree to condemn Walmart to host all the bad fashion on earth. I mean, it's not their fault, I don't think. It's not like they're advertising. Do you wear really terrible clothes? Come shop here, you'll feel it all. No, I, I disagree. Well, I know, not, ne- I know not, not everyone shops at Walmart. I do. I'm happy to describe it as, you know, the place where people who wear fanny packs go. 
<laughs> in a disparaging tone. And then I yeah, go there no, myself there. and I don't spot, yeah. I don't spot the little bit of inconsistency there. Uh, speaking of Walmart, her next bullet is about Costco. I resisted for a long time getting a membership because I didn't like the idea that only people with money to buy the membership could take advantage of the money savings offered in the store. But of course I caved ages ago and became a member. We have one in Courtney and go very rarely and only for very specific things. Unlike most of the other shoppers we see around when we're there. In fact, we often come out with absolutely nothing, which has caused more than one checker to look at us and say, seriously, how do you do that? (laughs) But I haven't always been immune to the lure of Costco buying. I once went into the Burnaby Costco to get a box of frozen appetizers and came out with a full set of Lagostina cookware. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, it was a good deal and I needed cookware and 20 plus years later, I still have it. And to be even more fair, that kind of impulse buy is not related only to Costco. I once went into Brentwood Mall to buy a birthday card. Instead, I went into the furniture store that was there and came out with a full bedroom suite. And no card. Jeez. That's well, funny. yeah. I, I, what's interesting is that Costco just seems to serve impulse buying so well. I don't really understand why. I get impulse buying can occur, can occur like anywhere. But Costco really seems to foster the impulse impulse. You know it's what I mean? the like, deal. I think it has a lot to do with that X dollars a year that you pay. You've paid mm-hmm. that money. Now take advantage of it. I think I think Maybe. that has a lot of lot to do with it. Was that the end of that letter? Uh, yes, it was. Thank you, Lee. Thank you. Yeah. Good work. Good work. Okay, and uh, uh, Captain Rob from Saskatoon, considering continuing his trip through our uh, back catalog, he was uh, writing about episode fifty-three, Herbal Dogs. So COVID hasn't even hit Saskatoon yet then. That's cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> he's, he's, about, he's somewhere in fall of 2019, I think, over there. That's cool. He just says, I, very interesting. I see you hauled out the big guns with Crony and Deb from Duncan. Excellent work. Uh, thank you, uh, Captain Rob. All righty. <laughs> Al from Walnut Grove said, regarding Manhattan Dog which was all about KJ's trip to the Big Apple. Al says, what a trip KJ had. In 1983, I got to see Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with David Cassidy. Ooh, Ooh, Lee from Courtney's going to write in about that. That's fantastic. (laughs) That would be amazing, actually. On Broadway, he said in quotes, because we discussed that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's on Broadway, at the Royal Theater. Also got to see Woman of the Year with Raquel Welsh. Always remember those shows. That sounds pretty cool. 1983, Raquel Welsh was doing Theater? Broadway. <laughs> yes, wow. yes. Wow. And then uh, you also talked about your uh, trying to re-waterproof PJ, your, your jacket. Yes, yes. So he says, PJ, the waterproof spray really only works to revive the shedding of the coating of a Gore-Tex jacket and only works if the Gore-Tex is still intact. I had the same experience years ago. I recently brought in a $575 Arcturix jacket I bought in 2013. It has a near lifetime warranty. What does that mean? Once you're on your deathbed, the warranty doesn't 
hold anymore? Like, what's a near lifetime warranty? I guess if the sleeves are falling off it from wear and tear, they won't. That's near the end of its life, no. probably. Okay. I could be wrong. Okay. I, maybe you have to bring a certificate from your doctors, <laughs> and then you can get your warranty jacket. I don't know. It has a near lifetime warranty and needed repair, but the Gore-Tex had also delaminated. They gave me a store credit for $644 that I then used to buy an identical Sabre AR jacket, which is now $800 retail. Cost me $252 in the end, but then again, I didn't have to pay for any dental work this year. I guess that meant he could afford it. Yeah. He might be referring to the dogs, or maybe he's referring to his own teeth. I just don't know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's good. I'm a little confused about Gore-Tex still. I mean, thanks, Al, for that. I, I have to say, I am i didn't even know Gore-Tex was laminated, to be honest. I thought it was just some kind of special weave that shed water. Mm. But it sounds like it is 100% dependent on the coating, which leaves me wondering how it could ever have been breathable, but... Uh, I think this is just mostly about my ignorance more than anything else. Um, Uncle Mike from Rossland gives us a series of uh, short snappers, shall I say. Uh, I'm not going to explain any of these. I'm just going to read them in quick succession. And it's about episode 122, Drain Dogs. Hey, dogs. Sorry I'm late. Going backwards to comment. Moby, happy birthday. Missed it on the 8th. That would be December, correct? Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Moby. (laughs) Okay, so to the episode. There were comments about bananas. They give me heartburn. Peel and eat. Use the skin for the holder. Don't be weird. I know who he's talking to there. (laughs) You. Reading. Back on William Gibson while barbecuing. Three to four times per week. 20 minutes helps. Okay, I'm going back on my word and I'm going to comment on some of these. (laughs) I guess when he's barbecuing, and he's a great barbecuer, by the way. I guess, Apparently. I guess he's out there hand basting, you know, artisanal barbecuing and in between his tasks, he's reading. That's actually sounds like a pretty good technique. Okay. New comment. No digital in the bedroom. Next. Hey, Rich. Thanks for the foosball episode. Brought me back to the lost and found pub in Kamloops, which is actually the fox and hounds, but we called it the lost and found. <laughs> Where I met my friends Randy and Diane from Nanaimo. I will try to get them to follow. Hi to Randy and Diane, if Mike succeeded. Oh, and Moby, will you do a bit on Moby's It's Been Done? Episode 5. So go on our website and either scroll back to episode 5, which is a pretty lengthy process, or just do a search on Moby's, and I'm pretty sure you'll find it. You really do need to interview Susan from Rosslyn. Amazing. And we've said that forever. And, uh, you know, that's on PJ to align that one. Well, wait just one moment. Uh (laughs) Yes. Anyway, on to the next topic. (laughs) Hi, Susan. Okay, I'll take care of it. I've got a little, I've got a little star beside it. Susan for shed dogs. Consider it done. Okay, I will. All right. Uh, Continuing with Mike. I use a salt bowl, kosher, Rich. Excellent, Mike. I've been using my salt bowl as well, and I am using kosher salt because I, you know, want that little look. You know, uh, I think I was saying basically when you want to look like a hipster or chef type, you got to reach in your bowl and sprinkle it on top of whatever you're cooking. That's the go-to 
poser move. That's the phrase you're looking for, the go-to poser move. That's what that is. Yeah, on TV, typically. It's used to show that, oh, this person's a good cook. You're going to see them doing that. And so I do it just to give people the impression that I'm a good cook. He continues with Mickey Rourke, diner, fan forever. Okay. Well, you know, there's a sort wait, I'm going to interrupt there. There's Mm -hmm. a sort of a fun potential side topic. Mickey Rourke and Diner was great, but does that forgive the entire rest of his body of work? Does it? If you make one really good film, like Nicolas Cage has probably made one or two really good films, but he's made several really stinky, awful, horrible films that I don't think he should be forgiven for. He's actually won an Oscar and done more terrible films than almost anybody else I can think of. I had I don't know. I think there's a debate to be had there. What do you say about Face Off? Do you say that's a terrible film or a great film? It's a terrible film. <laughs> it's just a terrible film. That's <laughs> sorry, but it is. <laughs> and and it Why? and it probably is. I just recall totally enjoying oh. it when I watched it. No, it's things get blowed up real good. Yeah. But nobody's winning an Oscar for doing Face Off. Oh, that's for sure. No, but I mean, is that your definition of terrible? Something that won't win an Oscar? No, it's just if you want to consider yourself, ah, I don't even know. I know you cannot stand Nicolas Cage. Okay, how about leaving Las Vegas? Thoughts? Uh, That wasn't a bad film, actually. It was kind of hard to do, but it wasn't a terrible film. Hard to watch? Yeah. Yes, but it wasn't because he was terrible in it or anything like that. The central question is just if, if an actor, I mean... It's kind of like the acting equivalent of a one-hit wonder. So Chubby Checker spent his whole life doing the twist, right? So is Chubby Checker a great artist? Chubby Chubby Checker in the kitchen doing the twist. Chubby Checker. Chubby Checker at the beach. Chubby Checker at the Super Bowl. Chubby Checker opening his doors to greet some visitors doing the twist. On the moon doing the twist. So, you know, does, does that make him a great artist? I don't know if it does or not. And Nicolas Cage won an Oscar for something. I don't know what. I can't remember. But he's done so much horrible, just really disgraceful, embarrassingly bad work. You just kind of think, he's not a great actor. He's a hack. He's an absolute hack. Like, I have 10 times more respect for Kanunu than I do for Nicolas Cage. Like, way, way more. There's an opportunity for debate there, I think. Okay, and Mickey Rourke, is it arguable that he went downhill when his mind started going downhill? <laughs> no, no, I mean, didn't, hasn't. That often happens, eh? <laughs> when somebody's mind starts failing, their work tends to really tail off. I don't right, know well, I guess what I was asking is, do you agree that his, you know, his, his, his mental health went downhill, and that's when his performances went downhill? In which case, you'd give him credit for everything that he did up until that moment, right? Well, I don't actually know what happened to him, really. I, I really don't. Was he in Barfly? Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry we even started with the whole thing. It's all distasteful. Mickey Rourke is distasteful. Mike of Rosland. You might love him forever for Diner, but in general, he's distasteful. Now, did Mickey Rourke come back in a boxing movie and have a star turn there? He came back as a boxer. Never mind a boxing movie. He decided he was going to be an actual boxer. He did make a boxing movie, absolutely. But he also decided he was such a skilled... uh, Yeah. Yeah, and he took a lot of punishment to establish his credentials as a not very good boxer. Yeah. 
Well, I'm glad that we got to talk about Nicolas Cage because <laughs> I know he's a hot button topic for you. Unreasonably so, I would say. Go go watch Left Behind. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Just go watch Left Behind <laughs> and then look me in the eye and tell me that Nicolas Cage is a reputable actor. Just go and do that and then I'll concede immediately. I would only watch it if it was so bad it was good. It is. It's it's well far into, like it goes through camp. Camp territory is just a distant flicker in the rearview mirror for that movie. It's so far past camp, it's wild. Are you saying it's so bad it's good? Yes. Like if you watch it, your mouth will just be hanging open for most of it. I'm not kidding. It's it's wild how bad that movie is. Okay. Okay. We'll have a look at that. And uh, Uncle Mike closes with, okay, so last, Rich, when you hit something with your car, stop, get out, and look. <laughs> Should I take umbrage at that? I mean, it's certainly what I did each time. So I don't know. I do have a little bit of umbrage, but I think it's still very good, very good advice, if not... Well, you should fire back with, yes, thank you, Mike. I know that's hard-won knowledge on your part. (laughs) There you go. Just helping you out a little. Lee from Courtney writes on episode 128, Shed Mail. And uh, this is pretty meta because that episode was mostly uh, listener mail. And so now we have listener mail about our responses to listener mail. She says, hi, dogs. Well, first of all, it's pretty ominous, isn't it, when she starts with first of all? (laughs) only for you because you're so used to just receiving adulation that when it doesn't start that way you feel threatened so she says in response to kj's thought that there are likely people in the world who know all or most of the lines from the princess bride meet my husband brian (laughs) if there is a peanut anywhere in sight you can be sure he will have to say no more rhyming and i mean it Now it's up to you to finish the line. Jeez, no idea. I think mean it, mean it rhymes with peanut. Absolutely does, but but I don't have any idea what the quote from the movie might be yeah, at all. Because we don't know it that well. I sure love that no. movie though. Yeah. And just a quick side note, also in response to KJ's musing on that show about what ever happened to the two leads, Carrie Elwes and Robin Wright. Well... Carrie is likely best known for that role and the one as Robin Hood in Robin Hood Men in Tights. But Robin Wright has had a pretty big career, movies like Big and Moneyball, but she got mammoth stardom playing Claire Underwood, Kevin Spacey's wife, then first lady when he became president and then president herself in the huge Netflix series House of Cards. Mm -hmm. Well, a huge series until Kevin blew up good, meaning Kevin Spacey. Yes. Yes, he sure did blow up good. Now, Jesse from Montreal's explanation of NFTs was terrific, as is everything he talks about, of course. But it still (laughs) didn't answer one fundamental question for me when it came to the why would people spend money on it part. He said right at the beginning that there is no original digital piece, JPEG, etc., which is completely different than a hard copy piece of art where there definitely is an original. If every single piece of the digital art piece I'm buying looks exactly the same, every single copy, I guess, is exactly the same, then why would I spend big dollars for one of them? That's what I still don't get. 
Maybe Jesse could revisit and do another audio file to just explain that. I'd listen to that. Well, I thought we kind of covered it. I think the reason that it's so hard to get is it doesn't make sense. I think at the heart of it, NFTs are a huge pyramid scheme. And in fact, I was just reading a piece by a crypto expert, the guy that actually was president until yesterday of Signal, which is a pretty high-end end-to-end messaging service that's been around for a while. He says, you know, I'm an expert on cryptography, but not an expert on crypto. But he, he did go in and analyze a little bit about NFTs. And he created an NFT that pointed out a, at a work of art. And then he snuck in and changed what it was pointing at. There was no security to prevent him from doing that. The security of the record on the blockchain that he bought an NFT and what, it, what URL it was pointing at, I guess, that is there and it will never change but he went in and changed the underlying URL to have a different image on it. It was just amazing. And he, he, I'll put a link to this in the show notes for this. It's not an easy read. You got to skip over the parts because he's an advanced kind of crypto expert, uh, cryptography expert, but it pretty well tells you, and he explains why, and I agree with him that cryptocurrencies in general are are a pyramid scheme. And I think there's been a number of articles about that as well. And I definitely buy into that. It's a good, good little piece. So the whole premise of the whole thing, I thought, with NFTs was the unchangeability of the entire thing. You bought that entry in that blockchain and nobody else can touch it. What he explains is the image itself is not in the blockchain. And so the image has to sit somewhere and be referenced in some way. I use the term URL. I'm not sure if it's some other method of referencing something, but the image is not stored in the blockchain. Now, he carefully read the terms of reference for these, and there's only a couple couple companies that support NFTs. So by the way, when you're buying an NFT, you're making a whole bunch of money for these people. Um, mm. and it's not decentralized. You think, oh, it's like democratic, everybody, the blockchain's wonderful. Actually, there are very few companies that are kind of just making money hand over fist on the, these blockchain concepts like NFTs. So basically he went and changed the pointer so that this NFT now pointed to a different piece of art. He carefully read the terms of references for using these companies and not once did it say you couldn't do that. When he did do it, he got kicked off at least one of those platforms. So there's there's stuff going on. I think if those platforms, if people, if this becomes common knowledge that you can do it, the whole thing could come crumbling down, right? Like I spent my $600,000 on Beeple's piece of art and now that piece of art can change on me. It's just, it's just. It's interesting. I mean, I... To go back to Lee's letter, I actually think Jesse did address that. I think what he said in his thing was that basically it's just pride of ownership and that the analog is a copy of the Mona Lisa. Uh, And I think the idea is if you're unable to distinguish the original from the copy of the Mona Lisa, which 99.9% of the general population would not be able to do, then really, you know, 
whatever security you've built around that physical piece of art, wherever it's installed and everything, all of that is the only thing that guarantees you that it is the original because you can't actually tell. And it's the same kind of thing with these NFTs. The blockchain is supposed to provide, I thought at least, the security of knowing that you have the rights, you have the unique ownership of the original even though an infinite number of copies that are indistinguishable from that original can be made. So no, it doesn't make any sense. It's just an emotional bragging rights thing. And I think, I can't remember bragging rights was the phrase Jesse used, but it was, I think you've got I it. I thought though. he was, I thought he was pretty clear on I that, think you've though, got either. it. It's bragging rights and no other rights whatsoever. Yeah, that, exactly. And so the guy changes the pointer uh, again, 99.9% .9 of everybody probably would never even know that. Like if you, you met know? Jack Nicholson in the seventies, just randomly going to say that you would basically tell people you would trot that out at dinner parties, especially yeah. if Jack Nicholson said something fantastic, which he no doubt would, you know, well, you, it's like knowing Moby. It's the same exactly, sort of thing. Same, trot that out same all kind the of time. Thing. You'd pull that out all the time and, and, and you kind of own that moment. You're the only person that met Jack Nicholson at that moment. And he said that thing. Yeah. You own it, but there's nothing to show for it really. And, and yeah. so you're going to tell people about that and you're going to tell people about this piece of people art that you paid yeah. $600,000 for and that it's yours, you, the concept. I don't know. It's crazy. You're going to have lunch and dinner on that knowledge and that thing for the rest of your life. That's what you paid the money for. That's whatever money you paid to get into the reception that Jack was at, where you had that exchange with him. That's what you paid for is the ability to say for the rest of your life, I had this meeting with Jack when he was in his prime in the set, you know, whatever. So, so know. Jesse, uh, we're saying that it's bragging rights. That's what you're buying. Um, correct us if we've still haven't quite got it right. Yeah. She says maybe Jesse could revisit and do another audio file to just explain that. I'd listen to that. So let's, let's see if we can hear that. And finally, just wanted to say that I got Apple TV plus for one month so that I could watch all the episodes of the second season of the morning show because I liked the first season so much. I was way less impressed with season two and frankly don't care if there's a season three or not. But, oh, before we continue on to that, yeah, I watched season two of the morning show. Guys, did you? No, I didn't watch season one either. Well, I'm completely with you on this one, Lee. Season one was pretty good. Uh, season two, I loved the pieces with Steve Carell. I think he's a good actor and I liked the European woman that wanted to make a documentary. Thought those scenes were pretty good, but the rest of it was just terrible. No empathy for those characters whatsoever. She continues on to say, but what the month of Apple TV plus did give me was that was just the best was Schmigadoon. <laughs> I just loved it. The fact, mm -hmm. the fact that I have seen pretty much every musical that was being parodied many times likely helped some, but I thought it was quite brilliant. So well done KJ for being sort of part of something so much fun and nice. so good. Thanks Lee. Nice. Fantastic. Jeez, wow. That's fairly ringing. Wow. It was a great show. You just wait for season two. Is it, is it going to happen? Do you think? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it might, though. Let's hope. What do you, what do you think the odds are? 60-40? 50-50? I think the odds are pretty good. Whether uh, Farmer McDonough is in the second, we don't know about that part. Did you think, what, 60-40, they'll do a second season? I'd go higher than that, 75-25. Ooh, 
Ooh, nice. Maybe Farmer nice. McDonough will be the new love interest. Nice. Yeah. Nice. They, they'll finally worked out their whole demographic <laughs> research and realize that's where the real money is. So, yeah. I better work on those six-pack abs. <laughs> <laughs> and our last one's from Sam of Balfour on episode 129. He says, been a while. I just escaped from number 129. Well, that's quite the thing to say. You just escaped <laughs> yeah, from yeah. one of our episodes. Oh, because he was held captive. He was riveted. He was uh, helpless before the power of our speech. He said, until the time came to leave, I enjoyed it. I laughed at RJ's Elk Valley Bridge Misadventures. That's, he, that's in which I rode onto a wooden uh, bridge and wrecked my bike. He says, when I went down from Pine Point for an interview at Fording, I had to rent a car in Calgary and drive to Elkford. That was 1983 and a time of Highway 3 upgrades of the Access North and Highway 43 that involved a bridge across the Elk River that intersected Highway 43 at right angles. It was dark and before I knew it, I was in the ditch missed any signage there might have been, and had to get a tug from a crew bus to proceed. That bridge was ultimately replaced by an engineered steel and concrete one. Some years later, I had a couple of over-the-bars incidents while riding a bike, I'm going to add, on a couple of timber bridges on the road between the mine site and Elkford. Remember that rule that you steer towards your line of sight? All I could see was two-inch gaps in the decking. It occurred at the bottom of the 4K hill at the end of that tertiary road. I had knapsack that took most of the abrasions. The custom wheels on the Nishiki were a feature of the walk of embarrassed shame through town and up the hill home. By custom, he put custom in quotes, I guess, meaning crunched up wheels. Just trashed, yeah. The road to the mine site has a second now upgraded timber bridge, maybe 10K from town. Same scenario. Cleared the bars, sliding onto some bag that had been supplied with wheel-straightening wrenches. They were good enough to bounce me home. The second incident was slower. I'm capable of a minimal road assessment. But as you know, Pat, the system is not foolproof. No more bridge stories, though. Have a happy, upright 2022. I have some wheel wrenches for sale. Cheap. (laughs) So he's duffed it on those bridges a couple of times is what he's saying. Like, wow. And maybe he's done uh, riding bikes in those kind of scenarios. Cause he's pretty much, it sounds like, yeah. And basically he's advising you at least no, no more of that. Yeah. Just have a good 2022 shiny side up. That's good. There you go. And that, that's fun. That brings us to the end of our listener mail. And thank you, Sam and everyone for some great yeah. letters. That's another good batch there. I like that. That's all we have for this week. I think we can all agree that listener mail is great, especially us, because we like getting it. Hopefully, you guys who are sending us listener mail are getting some pleasure out of doing it, because, man, we sure appreciate reading them here. Uh, We're hoping that you're going to take care of yourselves. The new year's well underway. Omicron, as you may have heard, is also well underway. So watch your step. I mean, yeah, okay, generally it's not a big deal, but you can't just assume that. So watch your step. Take care of yourselves. We need you around to send us more email. Care of yourselves. We'll talk soon. Boys, say goodnight. Good night. Good night.
I'm going to stop doing that because you guys are just terrible at that.